everybody. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. I am very excited to be sharing with you a topic for discussion today that I have, you know, it's funny, I wasn't really thinking about actually doing a podcast episode today in general, but also not even on this topic. And then I saw two things that one of them popped up on my newsfeed on Facebook, and the other one was an actual news article that I was reading this morning. And both of them were related to each other, and they were so compelling that I thought, you know what, I really need to jump on the microphone and record an episode on this topic of, and I don't even really know what to call it. I don't know if I should call it like rejection or uh, likability or, you know, the path to success and all the haters that you will develop along the way. But before I get into any of that, before I even start talking about that, Hopefully your 2019 is going pretty well so far. Hopefully you are, uh, your business is successful. Your personal relationships are are growing in their value, and definitely you know as you're thinking about 2019 in general, you know obviously it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know you got 12 months to get to wherever you want to be at the end of 2019. You know, it's not something that you are, you don't have to be there tomorrow, right? And, and on the same token, you want to balance that with intentionality and assertiveness. You know, you don't want to be the person who you wait till December of 2019 to actually do something towards your goals. But but definitely in general, it's it's been exciting to see how my company, Good Advice, how it has, the momentum has started to grow and develop over these last few months. In fact, it's, it's and I, I think I've said this before, but it's amazing these concepts that I read about and that I, I, I teach on and I train on and how, how it's so easy to be oblivious to these concepts when you're, you're living it, when you're in the thick of it. And then you have this light bulb moment that's like, oh yeah, right. And so one of those concepts is there's a really awesome book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he talks about this concept of the flywheel. And how the flywheel, it's kind of like the way I think of the flywheel is if you've ever, if you've ever seen uh, Wheel of Fortune, if you are 80 years old and you watch you watch Wheel of Fortune or you're aware of Wheel of Fortune, you know, they have like the wheel that they grab and they, you know, they spin it and they try to get a good spin. And I always think about how, you know, at first as they're grabbing it, it's kind of a slow pull and then they, you know, they jerk on it and it totally spins and gets going. And the flywheel is kind of a similar concept. You have this this wheel that you're kind of starting to crank and get cranked up and get turned on. And as it turns on and as it builds momentum, it starts to run on its own, right? It starts to, it's actually not unlike a steam engine on a train. You know, they are burning just enough coal to get the engine running. And then at a certain point, it, it, it its own energy causes it to continue to run, and not that you don't have to continue to feed that and grow that and develop that and the same thing for your business not that you have to you don't have to continue to fuel your business but there comes a point where momentum is kind of self-sustaining and it's been really exciting to see that happen with my business where these relationships that I have been building and developing it's been fun to see some of those things develop and 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 what I was saying a second ago, it's funny how you kind of forget that when you're in the thick of it, right? Because when I first started my business, when I first, you know, filed the LLC for good advice and I thought, you know, I had all these dreams and ambitions for, you know, I'm going to get all these customers my first week and then suddenly the first week goes by and no one calls me. It's like, well, dang, what am I doing wrong, right? 
But I started to, I've, I've been remembering, especially over the last few weeks, as people have been calling me versus me versus me calling them. And as I've started to see this, these relationships start to pay off, I'm remembering this concept of the flywheel. And especially at my last company, at my last company, it would take several months. The selling cycle was several months long to actually convert someone to a paying customer. And so I remember I had this company that I ended up working with who the size of their contracts totaled around $100,000. Well, it's really rewarding to get that $100,000 contract, but you have to also keep in mind that I spent around nine months taking their decision maker out to lunch and getting coffee with them and spending time with them and growing and stewarding that relationship. And I think it's why people get sales so wrong in general is that and and I feel like now it's more important than ever because we have such a social media culture where people are presenting a form of themselves that is so impersonal and it's so it's so fake and it's so you know it's it's superficial right it's what people want them to see and so I think more than ever people are really enjoying authenticity and and you being who you really say you are right and so I think that one of the biggest issues with sales, and I see it actually happen a lot in business, is that someone takes someone else out to lunch, and right then and there, they're looking to make the sale. And I think that that maybe works in the short term. I don't know how sustainable it is in the long term, right? Because if you think about it, you know, yes, you may get the sale right then, then and there in the moment, but you've done it in a very impersonal way which means that the customer doesn't really trust you yet, which means that the process of actually delivering said services, it it may be awkward, clunky, what have you. But you may also, especially like in a consultative way, you may not fully understand what they really need, right? And so my philosophy in business has always been don't chase the sale, chase the service, chase the thing that you're actually legitimately the problem you're trying to solve with your customer, right? Because that then will lead to, one, a happier customer because you actually solve what they needed solved. And two, it looks better on you because you actually got some meaningful results rather than, yeah, I made the sale, I closed the sale, I made 12 grand, but now this customer got something they really didn't need. They're not fully happy with it. And then you're not fully happy because, frankly, they're not going to work with you long term, right? So wherever you are in life, whatever you're wanting to see accomplished over 2019, just know there's a process to it. There's some momentum that has to be built up for that. And frankly, if you're working hard, if you're staying dedicated, it's going to happen. So having said all that, that's actually not that's not the focus of, of my podcast today, but it, it, it is related in the sense of as you think about that growing momentum and as you start getting success, I was thinking about what, what do I even call this episode today, and, and, and I don't even know what I'm going to settle on whenever I post this episode, but, but the bottom line is as you're growing momentum and as you're trying to become, and this isn't even tied specifically to business, as you're thinking about becoming a better person, 
in whatever circumstances that involves, whether it's it's getting more in shape or getting higher value relationships, or or maybe it is your business. You know, you're thinking about hitting a certain revenue goal. Like maybe you maybe you just opened your business last year and you weren't very profitable, or maybe you broke even, and this year you're looking to make a profit. And or maybe you've been making a profit, but you're looking to double that or triple that, or maybe you went from you know like a fifty thousand dollar company and now you want it to be by 2019 a $150,000 company. So you have these goals that you want to see happen. And ultimately, you know, you're trying to become more successful to actually make that happen, right? Well, as you're, as you're thinking about doing that, my encouragement to you and an honest truth that I've had to wrestle with and come to terms with and something that you yourself will have to come to terms with is you cannot be successful in life without being unliked. Well, let me say it a different way. Being, being successful, accomplishing your goals, means you will be not liked. And I know already saying that you're thinking, what? You know, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? How could that be? And maybe even if, if we're even gonna if we're even gonna reduce the concept even more, we could put it in a very simple statement of there will always be haters. There will be people who dislike you, despise you, who are unhappy with you, who, who you know, for whatever reason, they just do not like you. And the, the same thing's true in leadership. I remember one of the most meaningful things a, a mentor told me, is actually a previous boss I had, was we were remarking on this sort of celebrity leader that everyone really adored and and I, I tend to be a pretty discerning and insightful person. And there was something off about this leader. And, you know, this is a leader that people had traveled all over the world to see. And anytime he talked about himself, he, and I'm talking about the celebrity leader, not my, not my former boss, this celebrity leader, he would always boast and brag about these incredible achievements he accomplished, the revenue he brought in, the millions of dollars. And, and he just really, I mean, it was just kind of a constant, self-stroking of ego whenever he got in front of people and people would really eat it up. And I don't know why I was put off by him. Maybe it was, maybe it was just that, that sort of self-serving ego because there's, you know, there's a difference between that person and, you know, one of the most phenomenal leaders I have ever met is Donnie Smith, who is the former CEO of Tyson. And as I was listening to him, he was talking about all the great people he surrounded himself with and the people who paved the way for his success rather than saying, you know, all the things that I did. In fact, if you look back in history, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Rubbermaid, but Rubbermaid is actually not Rubbermaid. And and by the way, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Rubbermaid. It's the Tupperware, uh, you know, the things that everyone, it's, it's a phenomenal product. And yet, in spite of being a phenomenal product, the company no longer exists. It actually went bankrupt several years ago. And when it went bankrupt, it was bought out by uh, Newell and Newell is the company that now actually operates Rubbermaid uh, in in keeping the same brand name that everyone knew and loved. Well, as you look at why did Rubbermaid go bankrupt, the reason it went bankrupt is that I mean, there's a lot of reasons it went bankrupt, but one of the most qualifying reasons is when you look at the CEO at the time, the way he described the success of his company, especially in shareholder reports 
in quarterly reports and internal memos, he talked all about all the things that he personally was doing. In fact, going back to that book, Good to Great, he actually has a chapter on this, and he he talks. He actually goes in and he he quantifies the number of times that the CEO uses the word "I" versus the word "we." And what's remarkable about this story is how how it's totally lopsided. This person says "I." 10 times more than any time he says we. He's totally consumed with himself. And 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 sure enough, whenever he left that company, the company fell apart because he didn't create something that could exist beyond him. And all that to say, you know, you have these leaders out there who will really want to stroke their own ego and they'll talk about all these amazing things. And and so I'm talking with, and actually with this pers- this particular celebrity leader, it actually came out that he was having an affair and was doing some really... Uh, immoral things or unethical things, you know, whatever you want to call it. And it really damaged his legacy. And so I'm, I'm meeting with my former boss and we're talking about this and kind of just remarking on, you know, man, who would have thought? And that's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, but I'm also not really surprised. And it, it, it's always stuck with me what he said. It's, it's seriously to this day, it's informed my leadership philosophy. And he said, you know, I'm not surprised because no one has that many good stories to tell about themselves. And I was like, okay, yeah, well, what do you what do you mean? And he said, you know, the bottom line is this was a person who everywhere he traveled, everywhere he went, he talked about all of the people who fawned over his leadership, who wanted to learn from him, who wanted to hear his wisdom. And this this boss looks at me and says, Blake, no matter where you serve in life, no matter where you lead, there will always be people who despise you as a person and as a leader. There will always be people who dislike you, who think you were the worst boss they've ever had. And then part of that is because, you know, we as people, we're, we're fallible. You know, we make mistakes. Another part of it is perception. You have some people who will love your management style and some people who will hate it. You know, I'm a sarcastic person and some people love my sarcasm. Other people, frankly, don't like it very much. You know, they prefer that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sarcastic or that I'd be more genuine, right? And so that's always stuck with me because I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, in fact, I think about now as a professional business coach, I'm, I, I've, I've had the opportunity over the last few years to travel and, and speak and talk with different organizations, teams, companies on on what does it mean to be an incredible leader. And surprisingly enough, if I think back to maybe even seven or eight years ago when I was I was a high school teacher and I was the department chair. So I was leading the science department. So I had something like five or six teachers who were uh, not reporting to me, but I was I was basically responsible for them and, and, and responsible for the direction of that department. Those people would probably, as I think back, they would probably see me as a really poor leader. <laughs> as I think back to that, I kind of cringe. And, and in fact, I kind of hope that they don't know what I do today because they'd probably be like, wait, you give advice to leaders? I don't even remember you as being a good leader, right? And, and part of that's like the journey of leadership, right? I mean, the, the leader you are 10 years down the road is different from the leader you are today. But but another part of it is exactly what my boss was saying, and that was there are just people who will just always see you in a negative light. It's just it can't be helped. Now I'm 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 here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying when I say you know you have to be okay with the haters and you have to be okay with not being liked. I don't mean it in the sense of like complacency. 
Like, I don't mean it in the sense of, you know, you're a bad boss and you know, well, hey, no one's, not everyone's going to like me. And so I'm just going to keep being an awful person or an awful boss or, you know, you have really shallow relationships and no one wants to spend time with you. I, I'm not saying, well, you know, they're just haters, forget them. I mean, obviously there's a level of personal responsibility where we have to, we, we owe it to the people around us to grow and develop ourselves. We owe it to the people around us to to continue to strive forward so that we can have a positive impact on them. You know, it's that whole concept of, you know, what do we owe to each other and 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 what's this reciprocity that that's expected of one another and you know, when you look at healthy societies, the healthiest societies are the ones where there is this 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 combination of altruism blended with mutual reciprocity and so when i engage with someone when they do something nice for me it's, it's think about like christmas time when someone gets you a gift that you didn't really expect a gift from this from them and the first reaction is ooh well geez i didn't get you anything right i didn't i didn't buy you anything and and we feel that because we recognize that that there's a value in reciprocity there's a value in this mutual generosity towards one another and so i'm not saying to be complacent or to to just be okay with your shortcomings and to not strive and grow. But it's really on this topic of, and it's especially relevant if you're someone who you're building a personal brand and especially recognizing just the, I've, I've noticed that there is this certain uh, frailty of the internet. You know, it feels like, it feels like the internet is a glass house, and or like a house of cards and like if you if you post the wrong thing or use the wrong word there is going to be a slew of people who are offended right and and it's 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 amazing day in and day out the you see these celebrities or these people who are having to apologize for things said done what have you and and some of them are totally warranted and i'm not, i'm not saying people shouldn't be apologetic I, all i'm saying it's kind of the reason why i don't have a twitter account is because it, the internet is so fragile, it, it's almost like people are looking for a reason to get angry, offended, and I, I think part of it is something like this this posturing of virtuousness, like I, by being offended at you, I am proving that I've elevated myself to a new level of morality or, or um, you know, conceptual... I, I don't even know. It's like it's like I am showing my my eliteness in my virtuousness by being offended at you, right? And so I think I think that's part of it. But ultimately, it's 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 understanding that because of this this frailty of the internet and the frailty of social perception, I think what it's done is it's actually made it harder than ever to be an entrepreneur. I think it's made it harder than ever to really connect and be vulnerable with people, especially on this topic of like building a, a personal brand. I, I was talking with with this woman uh, earlier today, and she's a really successful coach, really successful entrepreneur. She has something like 350 paid customers at any given time. I mean, so she already has the proof in the pudding, so to speak. In, in the sense of people who, like proof of concept, she's offering something valuable that people actually want. And we were talking today and she was saying how 
even after doing this for so long, she still gets really apprehensive whenever she does an Instagram post, whenever she posts on social media. She always gets really apprehensive because she has this innate thought of what will people think? What will people say? What will people, how will they react to what I am going to say, right? And and I even know right now as you're listening, you're probably, I, I, I just know you can probably relate, right? I mean, think about the last post you did and you you probably wrote a few words and then deleted a word and said, well, maybe I'll say this word. Well, I'm going to rewrite that. Or, or, or maybe you, maybe you, uh, I think it's actually really funny on like a social media platform like Reddit, where it's all, it's anonymous in the sense of, you know, you're behind your username and there's kind of this running joke on Reddit of, you know, you'll spend 10 minutes trying to write a response and then ultimately you just end up deleting it and saying, forget it. Because on Reddit, there's like this karma system where people can upvote you or downvote you based on the quality of your post. And, and so, you know, like I said, there's this joke of, oh man, I spent 15 minutes crafting this response and then just deleted it anyway. Cause I was, why did I delete it? Because I, I thought that people's perceptions of me were going to be negative or they were going to have a negative response. And so, so I deleted the post so that people wouldn't see it. Right. Even though, even though there's no real value there, I mean, people don't know who I am on Reddit, but even through an anonymous handle, we have this fear of what will people think. Right. And, and it's kind of funny to me whenever I talk about a topic like this, because you also inevitably you get the people who they have to prove their toughness. And so they say, well, I don't care what people think. Well, I don't care what people say about me. And, and yeah, sure. There's, there's plenty of people who say that, who think that I, I don't know how much I believe that though. And, and honestly, if that's your response, you're probably thinking of what I'm saying in a little bit too too superficial of terms because I'm not even talking about do people like me. You know, this isn't this isn't middle school. This isn't high school, right? I I'm, I'm not even saying do people like me. I'm talking more about that sense of community and that sense of belonging that I really believe that everyone innately has. I really feel like every person, we, we are simply made for community. We're made for being a part. In fact, if you look at the most tribal forms of, of our ancestors, you have people who surrounded themselves with other people. Even nomads found themselves with, with close-knit groups of people because you know, first of all, we, we survive a lot better. So it's, it's coded into our DNA to recognize that we survive better in tribes and in packs, but also it's, it's the sense of I'm part of something that, that helps us feel this sense of fulfillment. It's, it's, it's actually, if you look at why people stay in their jobs, people care more about the people they work with than they do the boss they work for. And what I mean by that is, is you can be a bad boss, but people will actually continue working for you if they if they feel a sense of belonging with their coworkers. In fact, sometimes people will work in really awful work environments because they feel like this sense of trauma bonding with with those that they work with. And you know, my my best friend, his name's Adam. We. I, we were separated by like 10 years. I mean, this guy, Adam, if you're listening, you're like 55 years old, man. But uh, Adam is, is just over 40. And ultimately, the way we connected you know, we from totally different backgrounds, totally different ideologies, we believe different things, but there really was this trauma bonding of working in this 
this low-income school system that was just insane that that brought us closer together. And so people, they yearn for and they seek out community, right? And so when, and actually when people don't have community, that's when they become self-destructive, when they can't, if you talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they can't self-actualize and become the fulfilling and productive person that they are. And there's, there's actually some really incredible research around this and understanding that we're made for community, we're made for relationships. In fact, going back to my example of the school that I taught in, we taught in inner city Houston, and my perception, I don't really even remember what my perception was of gangs at the time. When I first came to Houston, I think I just envisioned just really awful people who were just wanting to be anarchists, right? But I learned very quickly that, and if you're not familiar with Houston as a city, Houston is absolutely the definition of a melting pot. You know, you have people who it's almost like a port city in in, in the sense of it's the entry point from people all over the world who are coming to the United States. And so, and I I don't know if I really mean like a literal port city. I mean, it's obviously, you know, I I don't envision Galveston as this glamorous (laughs) place where everyone's coming to. It's actually a pretty crummy place. And uh, in, in terms of like, it's, it's, well, I'm not going to apologize. I lived in Houston. It's a crummy place. So, but it's it's interesting how many people end up living in Houston who are from everywhere else in the world. In fact, the school that I taught at, and I'm not embellishing, I'm not exaggerating this this statistic, the school that I taught at actually had over 40 different languages represented. I mean, you start to learn about and this this just speaks to my worldview. I first of all started learning about countries that I didn't even know existed. And second of all, I started learning about languages that I didn't even know existed. And so even in my school, you have 40 different countries represented. You have, I mean, the the percent of population is less than 1% white. And so you are suddenly immersed in this dynamic of people who are from all over, right? And they're coming now and they're they're looking to be accepted in and, and acclimated in to First of all, the school system, the Houston ISD school system, but also just America in general. And I'll never forget, whenever I was working on my master's degree, I was sitting down with a professor at uh, the University of St. Thomas in Houston, and we were talking about why students in these environments go on to drop out of school or be unsuccessful. And he was talking about, and there's some really there's some really cool connections here with just civic empowerment. But he was talking about the the students who actually make it. And from like a practical standpoint, we're talking about they make it through high school, they graduate, or maybe they make it to college, or maybe they make it to a trade program, or, or the bottom line, they make it in a, in, a, in a sense that we measure success of they are contributing to society, they're making a, you know, again, very practically, they're making an income and paying back taxes on that you know they are they're they they have something to offer in that sense of the mutual reciprocity to our society in general the way they get there is that they find a way to become a citizen of that school system they they become part of it they become part of the community and so that means that students who come to America who don't speak a word of english well that's a very significant barrier to feeling part of the group it's a significant barrier to actually being 
one of us, right? And so, and whatever you you use to, to whatever that means to you, you know, I think of it as just being like, you know, we're Americans, we're part of the group, right? And so, language is one of the biggest barriers for that. So, what what happens then is one of two things: either a, you provide language tools to acclimate them and uh, accelerate their their joining of the community, you know, you remove the barrier, the obstacle, so they can now be a part and they're part of the community. And now that they are part of the community, they're contributing to it. Or you don't provide that and they never actually enter into being part of the group. They never be productive, contributing members of that society. In fact, they usually will go and create their own society. And this is where Houston gangs are developed and created. And in the Houston uh, city actually has a gang and crimes unit. And one of the, I remember being in a training by the person who was heading up this division of the Houston city. And he was saying the majority of these kids who are in gangs, they're not in gangs because they're awful kids or they're anarchists or they just want to do awful things. They're in this gang because that's where they find their sense of community and their sense of belonging and their sense of I'm part of something. And, and I want to encourage you to not, you know, yeah, you know, I, I feel like whenever when people hear this, because I've shared this with some other people, and they kind of laughed at it, and they were like, "Yeah, right, these are just awful kids." And and I I I mean, I've firsthand have taught these kids; they are not awful kids. They're actually they're actually really great kids, but they've gotten screwed up because they you know, we're wired for a community. We're wired to connect with other people. And when we can't find it in one place, we'll look for it in another place. And, and what's happened with these, these children is they've eventually found it in very unproductive ways. You know, they have found it in places where it's, it's not only not productive for them, it's not productive for society and it's, it's downright harmful. You know, it's, it's where you find people who are committing crimes in order to be accepted in, you know, I, I don't really know how to become proficient in English, but maybe I do know how to steal from this gas station or steal from this person so that I can be part of the group. I can be part of the gang. And so we, as people, we're, we're ultimately wired to want to be part of community. And it's, it's, there's some really fascinating dialogue on what does it, what does civic empowerment really look like? And like, what does it really look like for someone to be a productive member of society? And so in that, if we want someone to be productive, productive, meaning they're they're you know, and you can do all sorts of different, different definitions of this word, you know, are they contributing to the GDP? Are they paying taxes? Are they, are they making their society better? And, and ultimately it's, it's a matter of removing pathways for them to actually become a citizen. And I don't mean like a legal citizen, although yes, that's, <laughs> that is important. Let's make that happen. But it's, it's also, it's a metric of, are they capable of making it to being part of this community, part of this group? When we don't remove those obstacles, uh, like I said, that's when you get the really unproductive behavior and the things that actually harm the society or are in the, the interests of the community, the community they, they do become part of uh, becomes in, in direct contradiction to the interests of society as a whole. So all that to say, we as people, we are wired for community. Okay, it has nothing to do with likability. It has nothing to do with how many friends do I have on Facebook or how many followers do I have on Instagram. We as people are deeply wired. We need community. 
extrovert, introvert, personality, whatever, whatever metrics you want to think about. It doesn't matter. We're wired for community. We need people. Well, because of that, because we need people, because we have a, a coded into us desire to be part of community, what's fascinating then is that as we become successful, we can sometimes prevent our own future success because we don't want to sacrifice our standing with the group or our standing with community. And so going back to my comments on, you know, building your personal brand and specifically this woman I was talking to today, there were times that she would not be willing to make a post or do a podcast or or put something out there because of fear of what will people say about me? What will they think about me? And ultimately, you know, I I it's just it's amazing to me just the the pure fact of as you become successful there you cannot separate success from dislike from the haters from the people who do not like what you stand for it's it's impossible right it's 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 often when we think about becoming known and in a person of value we hope or at least i hope that 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 number of people who dislike me will be very small right but what I've decided in 2019 is that if I'm going to do this and do this well, especially if I'm going to build my own personal brand, I have to choose to focus on the people who find value in me rather than those who don't. Because the bottom line is no one, there's an expression out there, it's, it's nobody likes a winner. And what the expression means is that when people find success, there will always be critics, criticizers, what have you. Perfect example, the Golden State Warriors, who, you know, I'm, I'm totally playing into my own example because I hate the Golden State Warriors. And what's so frustrating about Golden State Warriors, and, and you listen to anyone who dislikes the Golden State Warriors, and, you know, we all have, we're, we're we need to get help, man. I mean, we're, we're seriously addicted to trashing the Warriors. But what's remarkable is you have this team that, breaks the record for the most successful single season record. It was something like, I think, 73 wins and nine losses. It was more than Michael Jordan's Bulls. You know, they they win more games than any other team in the history of the NBA, and people hate them for it. They say it's unfair. It's not right. It's 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 and I don't know if people if it comes out of like this spirit of I want what you have and I'm mad that you have it and that I don't have it. But you, it, it's whenever people find success, there's always people there on the sidelines who are ready to criticize, judge, and 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 what have you. And it, it, I mentioned how I had read an article today that got me kind of thinking about this topic. I was reading about Elon Musk, who, and and let's just let's just start very simple with Elon Musk. This is the guy who he created PayPal, he created SpaceX, uh, the rocket ship company. And he created Tesla, which is the electric car company that's really has transformed the automobile industry. So you have this guy who is a multi-billionaire. I mean, he he created his rocket ship company largely from his own funding and has been able to acquire many billions dollars more from other people in order to continue to fund these, these avenues of advancement. Well, the article I was reading today was a tweet from someone who was tweeting, and of course it's Twitter. Someone was tweeting at, at I don't know if, he was, if this person was tweeting at Elon Musk or just was tweeting in general, but this person was saying something like, the biggest problem in our society 
are the billionaires like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, etc., who are just sitting and building their coffers full of cash while the rest of us toil away and struggle and starve and, and what have you. And so it was kind of like this, this typical cliche uh, jab and critique of the, the financial elite and saying, and all these implications of they're greedy, they're selfish, they, you know, what, all the things that you've seen before, right? And it's actually really common in today's social media era, especially as we talk about like the 1%. You have people who get very angry about those who have lots of money, even though they're paying more taxes than anyone else. And 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 I'm I'm not even here's the deal. I'm not even saying that you know there shouldn't be a responsibility on those people or or what have you. But but also you have to think about like the definition of 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 our financial model in our society is that you are able. Sort of the wonder of our system is that you are able to make enough money for yourself and frankly make as much money as you want you're able to do that and i'm not saying there's not there's not a corporate elite there's not people who are abusing the system that need to be held i'm not saying anything like that i'm just saying that's that's one of the beauties of our system is that there's no cap on your income right i mean you can be as successful literally as you want and and in turn that that then motivates people to then go and be successful well what's been what's what i've been seeing though is that this growing this growing rhetoric around these people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates who are sort of like these fat cat, these these people who are just spending enormous amounts of money and just gaining tons of money and it's not fair and it's not right. And what, what was really funny to me in this article was it included Elon Musk's response where he basically said, and I'm just paraphrasing, he basically said, you know, it's really easy to criticize me as a, as a billionaire and to use that term to basically denigrate, denigrate who I am and diminish what I stand for. You know, you're using it as a term to portray me as a selfish, greedy person. But then the, the, the great part of his response was he began listing out the statistics of what he's done. He said, you know, I've created companies that now employ 50,000 people. I buy products, billions of dollars worth of products from suppliers. And that money has now fed 250,000 families. And he was posting the math and saying, I am a direct contributor to the well-being of 500,000 people, half a million people. And on top of that, he is advancing our space industry in a way that we've I've never seen in my lifetime, right? And so you have this person who's doing all these phenomenal things, but but yet it's sexier to criticize this person for being rich than recognizing all the great things they're doing. The same, it's even funnier to me when people criticize Bill Gates and they say, oh, what a billionaire, he's part of the 1%, it's totally wrong. Well, Bill Gates has already promised to give away 99% of his wealth and he's actually created initiatives beyond just the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He's created initiatives to convince other rich people to give away their wealth as well. And and so in, in, instead of recognizing that, you have people who are incredibly, insanely critical of it, right? And ultimately, I've just, I've just realized that in life, you cannot control offense. Now, sure, you can grow as a person. You can try to be 
a, a, you know, maybe this is where you get into conversations of like tactfulness. I mean, you can be less abrasive. You can, you can think about these things more clearly before you speak, or I'm not, again, I'm not saying you don't grow as a person, but ultimately to be a productive society, we are not going to be able to control offense, right? My wife, Joy, she had a friend in her life who one day just stopped talking to her and removed her on social media, stopped speaking to her, told all of her friends, hey, I don't speak to Joy anymore. And to this day, this was maybe three or four years ago, to this day, we still don't know what the offense was and what happened. And Joy's even reached out and said, you know, what's going on? What's happening? And this person just flat out ignores her, just doesn't speak to her. And I think I think what's so odd about that is it's like we didn't even know, she doesn't even know what happened to offend this person, right? And so in life, there's there's just going to be people who are offended by you, who dislike you, who feel threatened by you, who feel, you know, they, they feel a need to criticize you. And if you get nothing else from my podcast today, my encouragement to you as you engage in 2019, as you push to be that successful person, as you as you challenge yourself to grow and develop and, and mature yourself and nurture your own growth, as you try to be that successful person, you will have to accept that being successful means not being liked by everyone. Being successful means being rejected in some form. Being successful means that you're going to be criticized and critiqued and evaluated and denigrated and, and all of these things that that are going to happen to you, that is part of the price you're going to pay for success. You can't help it. You cannot help it. There's nothing you can do about it. But the beauty of success, and this is my encouragement to you, is stop listening to those people. Be a person who takes feedback, sure. You know, take critique, take criticisms. Okay, that's that's good feedback. I'm going to think on that. But rather than putting all of your eggs in one basket of what will people think about me, what will people say about me, instead of thinking that, instead focus on the other side of the spectrum. Because here's what I've realized, and I apologize for my language here. For every person who criticizes you, there are 10 more who think you're a total badass. I'm going to say it again. I mean, seriously, for every person who is critical of you and criticizes you, there are 10 others who think you're a badass, who think you're phenomenal, who feel so empowered by you, who feel such a value of relationship from you, who can't wait to be around you, who when they're around you, they, they feel they feel a sense of possibility and optimism, and I feel like a better person now. I have a new perspective now. I can always go to this person for advice. This person is always going to set me on the right path. There are people who think that about you. You have nothing but, but and, and, and let's even reduce it further. You have people, maybe they wouldn't say all of those things about you, but whenever your name gets brought up, they say, you know, that's a cool guy. I like that guy. I like being around that guy. You have these very positive feelings about you. Those are the people you have to choose to focus on because it's the same thing when it comes to like the review industry. You know, when people leave reviews, it's scientifically proven that let people are less inclined to leave a five-star review than they are to leave a one-star review. And so sometimes you get this reverse effect where it appears like your product is doing really poorly because of the number of one-star reviews. And it's actually not because it's actually not a a real, uh, it's not actually a real 
metric of how successful your product is being. It's just that people feel more empowered to complain than they do to praise, right? So wherever you are in life, whatever whatever you're trying to accomplish in 2019, whatever, whether it's your business, personal, what have you, my encouragement is to focus on the positive people in your life and believe and recognize that, like I said, there, there's 10 times more people who love what you're doing, who support you, who love you, who want to see you accomplish those things than there are the criticizers, the haters, what have you. But but like in all things, and I, I do this myself, we flip that and we make the minority the majority opinion in our lives rather than just dismissing and saying, you know what? That's one in a hundred people. That's one out of every 10 people who thinks that. That's no big deal to me. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to think about that. You have something to offer in 2019. You have something to give and to share. And, and that's that's in the value of your relationships. That's in the impact you're going to make. You know, whether we're talking from a macro level, like in terms of society and that mutual reciprocity, or or on a very minor personal level level. I was we were uh for New Year's, I was meeting with my wife's family and we were all just sharing about the things that are important to us. And we started talking about this theme of every day, there's a person in your life who you could be impacting. So how do you stay assertive and alert for that? And I want to challenge you in that same way to be assert and alertive uh, in terms of the people around you that you could be impacting for the better, for the more positive people you could be helping, who you could be making this, this, this distinguishable, distinguishable difference in their lives. Don't be someone who's unwilling to be successful, who's unwilling to make that impact because you have a fear of what other people will think. You have a fear of what other people will say and the offense or the critiques or whatever they, you know, what are they going to say about me? What are they going to think about me? You know, someone, you post something on social media, you, you get out there and you finally say something. And, and the first response is, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, don't delete the post, delete the reply. You know, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to be a person who I'm committed and dedicated to making the difference this year, either for myself, for those around me, or for people as a whole. Get after it, grind after it, be thirsty for success, and focus on the people who are giving you fuel in the sense of they're encouraging you and they're they're being impacted you impacted by you. And ultimately, they're, they're different because of you. That's what's worth listening to, not the criticizers. Because again, you can't control them. They're guaranteed. It's like, it's like death and taxes. You're going to have those people. There's nothing you can do about it. All right, guys, that's all I got for today. I'll catch you later. See ya.